Welcome to the Global Decolonization Initiative podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Rodriguez, and I'm here with my mom, who's a civil rights activist, actively dismantling the systems of oppression in the public and private sectors of America for about 30 years now. Hi, Mom. Hi, Tanya. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Oh. Yeah, we're ridiculous. We will be discussing a few topics today. First, we have the Global Uprising Report, and then we'll be talking about why diversity trainings don't work. And of course, we'll be bringing you the GDI Cocotazo of the Week and the GDI Shout Out of the Week. Stay tuned, because it's about to get real. Global Uprising Report. France took to the streets this past Thursday for a fourth day of nationwide demonstrations against the French government's pension reform plans that would increase income inequality by such things as pushing back the retirement age from 62 years of age to 64 years of age, which unions say would make millions of people work longer for less money. The protests, led by the General Confederation of Labor, also known as the CGT Union, with solidarity from the Yellow Vests movement, amassed more than 500,000 people in the streets of Paris to protest the austere regulations that would make the rich more rich and the poor more poor. Iran Saturday and today, thousands gathered for protests in Tehran to call for the resignation of Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khomeini. After Iran officially admitted to mistakenly shooting down a passenger plane with 176 souls on board. This comes after Iran took to the streets to protest against the assassination of General Soleimani by the United States which was preceded by countrywide protests calling for the resignation of Khomeini due to rising fuel prices and growing income inequality, as well as withholding information of protester casualties since November 15th, 2019. America rose up this week in more than 70 cities in protests organized by Code Pink and Act Now to Stop War and End Racism, a U.S.-based anti-war coalition along with other groups. The protests focused against the potential war with Iran and calling for the removal of Trump in greater numbers. This concludes our Global Uprising Report, which brings us to the topic of the week, Why Diversity Trainings Do Not Work. Mom has been in diversity trainings for nearly three decades and has seen the expansion and growth and progress and changes and modifications and Uh, what works, what doesn't work. Mom's also certified to teach diversity trainings by the federal government. So she's she's a bit of a badass and knows what she's talking about when it comes (laughs) to this subject. And uh, I think it's absolutely perfect because it is something that's been coming up. A lot of people of color are disenchanted or even traumatized with diversity trainings 
to the point where um, there is this after after the diversity training is complete, there's almost like a, a, a healing that has to happen for people of color. I know I've experienced it. I know other people I've spoken with have experienced it uh, to some extent. There's people getting heated. There's people being put on attack. So um, there's a lot of not so good things about diversity trainings. And there's also a few good things about diversity trainings as well. So if somebody is uh, wanting to incorporate diversity trainings into their business or organization, what are some things uh, or maybe things to keep in mind as far as the history of diversity trainings and the progression to where we are today with them? Oh, I think I think you're right. It's good to understand a little bit about how did that whole thing start, right? So diversity training was the outcome of the difficulty that corporate America was having in having race discussions after the civil rights movement. Mm. It was just too hard, too emotional. They didn't want to do it. But they had to do it. So they came up with this model called diversity training. And in the early days, diversity training was really at the expense of people of color, Hmm. where you would have this instructor stand up in front of the room and uh, ask the audience, so let's talk about stereotypes. So when I put Hispanic, what comes to mind? Oh, my God. (laughs) And then the audience would chime in. Alcoholics. Oh, jeez. Lazy. No. Unwelfare. Oh, my God. And, okay. Let's talk about Native Americans. Alcoholics. No. Live on, on, uh, on uh, reservations. That's you know, awful. All of these terrible things. And then, you know, there were people of color in the audience. So to mm. me, that was diversity training at the expense of the people of color. Mm-hmm. That began to evolve. I mean, that lasted but so long. That was during the time when we were all supposed to be a mosaic, Mm. right? And (sighs) then we went from being a mosaic to being tolerant. Then diversity training stretched into Uh, let's tolerate each other now. I remember that. And uh, then it moved into uh, acceptance. Mm. And, you know, let's accept everybody the way they are, as they are. Mm-hmm. Um, That's when the we are all one really came in. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And then it took an interesting twist. It went backwards hmm. a little bit. And the reason that I say that is that all of a sudden diversity was being talked about, that it had nothing to do with color anymore. So let's take the color out. What they did was let's take the color out. And if you're a doctor and, you know, you're a carpenter, that's diversity. If you if you live in the rich neighborhood and you live in a poor neighborhood, that's diversity. Oh, wow. Right. So corporate America clung on to this, you know, diversity. Um, and it continues to evolve from there. I think today there's some more there are more aggressive models out there 
where they're kind of trying to get back to have the race discussion. But I don't know that there's enough people out there prepared to do that type of work. Hmm. Those are labs, really, because diversity training for work, right, Mm -hmm. is what? A one, two-hour session? Like, what are you going to do in that short amount of time? Police departments, what are you going to do? Send them to a class for eight hours, maybe, for two hours, four hours, and then have them walk out of the room and expect or have some expectation that behaviors changed? Right. No. No. Wow. The only time people change behavior is when they have consequences. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't believe apologies this year only changed behavior. Right. There's a lot of organizations. I recently saw something uh, from the local police department that touted that their police officers are trained. But recently, uh, within the past, over the, over the past couple of years, there was a police officer that uh, beat up an African-American man severely. And he was the one that was singled out instead of the police department itself. And even the police department said, let's, uh, we, all of our, tra- our, all of our cadets, all of our police officers are trained in diversity. It doesn't show up in their policing. One of the, one of the things about diversity training that I'm really interested in is the different kinds of diversity training. So there's the different kinds of diversity training. Say there's a diversity training done in town that focuses on exploring the historical aspects of just this country. And when I was there, it to me felt like a disservice to not include the full story of how colonialism started, essentially, in the Western world. There's also another diversity training here that does little skits, right? So a bunch of people get together and they do skits or the one one diversity group essentially puts that was basic it was mostly geared towards white people where there were the the haves and the have nots and then they had everybody separate into these groups of have and have nots and then discuss what that felt like it was really bizarre uh, another diversity training may particularly do just skits or uh, different scenarios of what people may encounter. With the historical diversity training, I felt that there was a lot that was wonderful in that, and I also felt that there was a lot that was deeply toxic about it. Uh, in that particular training, one of the things that I did see was, and and I was approached to do, it was the first time that I had done that training and somebody 
had come up to me and another person in the training who was their first time as well and asked us specifically because of what we do and said to us, you two don't have to worry about getting fired. This is this actually happened. You two don't have to worry about getting fired. Can you, uh, is it, would you be willing to challenge these two men on their fragility? And one was a mixed African-American man and the other one was a older Jewish doctor. And he, I was uh, charged with approaching the Jewish doctor and challenging him on his fragility. And the African-American woman was charged to take on the um, mixed race African-American man. And I was like, after, after involving myself in that, I realized how deeply toxic that was to even A, ask, and B, uh, the audacity of asking such a question and um, see presenting an opportunity to attack people on purpose for their fragility. Um, those are the kinds of things that I see happening in diversity trainings that are really detrimental to this movement and to the people uh, that are going to these things to get some level of healing, some level of of, of balance in their head of what's going on and how can I be a part of this? They don't even call it diversity training anymore. It's called sensitivity training. Boy. Mm -hmm. I think the only one I've ever seen that I thought was impressive was there's a woman, older white woman, who was a school teacher and did this exercise called blue-eyed, brown-eyed. Jane Elliott. Jane Elliott, that's right. And in that sense, she used the thinking of how can I impress upon these students, right, mm -hmm. what it feels like. In other words, how can I put somebody in somebody else's shoes, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. if you can walk and feel and be mm -hmm. in someone else's, you know, uh, situation, mm -hmm. then you're awareness and cultural sensitivity would improve. Right. And that's kind of what was a lot behind of what she did, the exercise that she did. And she had a lot of flack for it, Oof. but she's also had great success with it because those students were interviewed as adults mm -hmm. and it changed their life when it came to issues of understanding racism and their effect in the world. Now, this woman, Jane Elliott, today is still pretty fiery. She's badass. I was I was at a conference somewhere, and she was the keynote speaker. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty excited. But in the room, the majority of the room were white women mm -hmm. in a profession. I think most of them were in human resources, so they all kind of looked the same, you know? Interesting. You know, bob, blonde haircuts huh. with suits on. <laughs> Uh, and that was the majority of the room. And I will tell you, maybe maybe 15 minutes into her talk, because she is brutally honest when it comes to race, mm. these women began to get up and leave the room. <laughs> I 
bet. They could not handle it. Right? And I just kind of said to myself, wow, how unconscious. Hmm. They can't even get to that place. Wow. Where they're open to the message, right? Now, you know, full disclosure, she was not nice, right? Mm. She was that that's kind of covers that that issue of civility, right? Right. She could give a shit. Mm. She has a message, she's gonna say it, you don't wanna hear it, get the fuck out. That's she ex- was totally fine with it. And this woman is tiny and <laughs> she must be in her eighties ni- at mm. least, you know, and it was pretty amazing to watch her. Uh, but to me, that's the one that I saw that was very effective. And the reason is because you can track it from when it happened to the results in adulthood, mm-hmm. right, with those kids. And the fact that she was found a way to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's something that I've, I've noticed it seems that the diversity trainings are surface level. It's mm-hmm. from the outside looking in. Very superficial. Yeah, very mm-hmm. superficial. It's like this is what happened. This is what to do. This is what to not do. But it doesn't really cross the line into this is how not to be a fucking asshole to people. Because <laughs> this is how it feels when yeah. somebody's an asshole to you. Yes. Right. So that's why that was such a powerful exercise that mm. she designed. Uh, mm-hmm. That till today, there have been books written about it. She's right. written about it. Uh, there have been documentaries done on oh, this. Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty impressive piece of work. In this, in the area of race and race relations, right? It's not that easy to try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, right? Mm. I think there was a book, uh, Black Like Me, was it? Mm. Where somebody took on the, a white person took on the persona of an African American and then went through life to feel and see what life would be like. Mm-hmm. But it's very difficult unless you walk in those shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Because if it's one thing that people of color, you know, cannot do is we, you know, every day we get up and we look in the mirror, we see it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm black, I'm Hispanic, I'm Asian. No getting away from it. Right. It is what it is. You know, we walk into a room, everybody sees it. Mm -hmm. And for those out there who say, oh, no, I'm colorblind. Well, you're not. And if you say that, you're a liar. Mm -hmm. Because the eyes, you know, the eyes don't have judgment. The eyes see What's in front of you? When I was in a um, in a seminar in mm-hmm. town put on by this uh, two two groups here that are doing a lot of work in this community called my daddy taught me that and my sister taught me that they are amazing bringing awareness to the youth and empowering the youth of color in this town. And they brought in Tim Wise. Tim Wise is a very good speaker. He is an amazing speaker. And mm-hmm. it was it was so interesting because I would raise my hand and raise my hand and I and and I was passed over the whole time until finally I was the last person called and and so I go up to the microphone, they hand me the microphone, they go, Okay, go ahead. And I said, uh, thank you for being here. 
really appreciate it. And it was like the whole time, all these questions were really superficial, really um, surface. Mm-hmm. Went, you know, there the questions were so basic that I, I can't even remember any of them mm-hmm. because they were um, – you know, they they were placating. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. there were there were questions to placate the crowd, and I think that may have been why I was the last one that was called. <laughs> because when I asked this question, a ripple got sent over. Uh, the it, it went across the crowd, and I said, uh, "Thank you for being here. I really appreciate you being here, Mr. Wise." And um, what would you say? What would be a, a a way to respond to people when they say, "Well, I'm I, I don't see color. I'm colorblind." And Mr. Wise grabbed both sides of that podium, and his eyes lit up like, and he turned into. This amazing, I mean, he grew, he grew into a giant. It was like the, the question, you know, where the question is like, finally, somebody asks me a, a question of substance, you know? And when he grabbed both sides of the podium and he attacked that microphone, it sent a ripple through the crowd. And you could, I could see the crowd undulate with his answer and he said the exact same thing you did he said if somebody says that you're that they're colorblind they're bold face lying to your face people can see color even colorblind people can see color from the age of six months old and he went off yeah. i mean he went off and everybody in the crowd looked at me mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and i just kind of sat down you know and mm-hmm. um but it was really powerful. It, it, it set everybody in that place straight because that's a common theme. Mm-hmm. I don't see color, or we are all one. And then they, and then that that narrative is promoted in diversity trainings or in sensitivity trainings, and people glom onto it. And um, then well, here's what pisses me off about it. Mm. Why are we doing it? Bam. It's, it's kind of like. People of color don't have a problem. Right. Why are we doing this? Mm. Making it look like we have a problem. Like there's something wrong with us that we got to train somebody. Really? Right. Grow the fuck up. Not some stuff. People have to be trained to learn how to deal with people of color. As if people of color have. It's so stupid. Oh my goodness. It's, It's like. It's perpetuating that we are a problem. Isn't that the truth? Otherwise, we'd be having diversity classes to learn about white people. Well, you don't. Huh. We've been trying to figure out white people since birth because it's all around us. We're, we're people of color navigating in a white world. Right. Look, I get that there's some serious issues. I think... One of the issues that came up, and maybe we'll do this in a future podcast, is mm. artificial intelligence and its effect on people of color, right? Mm. MIT, who holds the bank for the most sophisticated IA technology, is a bank. Mm. When researchers are going to work on a project, they go to that I, you know, MIT bank 
to pull out what they need to go do their project. Well, what they found when they were working on facial facial recognition Mm. was that the facial recognition was not recognizing people of color. Mm. Why? Because the the people that were designing this all looked the same. Right. They're young white men. Were were they being discriminatory on purpose? No. Did they say, hey, let's do this so that it never recognizes, you know, a brown face? No. They didn't think of it. Right. They're scientists. Not, they're not into social. They probably lack social skills. They just, it didn't come to mind. That's why it's so critical that people of color enter science and math, that we get kids involved, that we get involved in, in you know, content online. Because the people who are doing it, right, mm-hmm. don't think of it. And at the end of the day, we, you know, it has the effect of discrimination. So it's a, it, it, is a, it is a race and gender neutral practice that at the end of the day results in discrimination. And the only way to combat that is not to come at them and say, hey, let me give you some sensitivity training. Mm. No, it's to get people at the table with them. Right. That's exactly it. Right. Well, when the people of color of this country are marginalized to the point where college it becomes unattainable with, without a lot of sacrifices, it's one of those things that is a struggle. It's not an easy, uh, easy road to the top, essentially, being of color. What happens when diversity trainings become dangerous? For example, there was a diversity training here in town that um, in the middle of their training had an African-American indigenous woman arrested in their training. She was as from their end speaking out of turn and from her end correcting uh, wrong that they had in their training. Were the people that were running this white? Yes, they and, are. And the woman was of color? Yes. And all the people that came in were white. And uh, nobody helped her because everybody was just stunned. And when she began to become more and more emote, more and more, and become more and more um, animated, animated, the the fragility in the room kicked in. And this is, you know, I imagine this is a room of forty. When I went to this training, there was a room of maybe about. 40 people. It's a, so, you know, it's a good example it, of, 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 uh, of a lack of sensitivity again, right? Lack of understanding right. is to say that probably this woman was expressing herself in a very passionate way. Yeah. And that passion was misinterpreted as anger and aggression. Mm-hmm. Why? Because of the 
people that she was talking to, there's kind of responsibility on both sides. I mean, you can't go into a set. You got to know who you're talking to, yeah. right? So the more aware you are, Mm-hmm. Then the then the more successful communication is going to be, but you know if you're walking into a room full of white people and you start going off on them and jumping their faces, you know or you know it's not going to work. It's not going to be effective. So it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Same thing for white people who are sitting there, you know, to take a look and make the decision. Think about it. You know, this person is expressing themselves in a very passionate way. You know, a lot of times it's volume issues, right? Was the passion and the volume so high that it scared the shit out of them? And they Mm. felt that they might physically get harmed. I don't know. I wasn't there. Right. Well, they called the cops on her and she was charged in a diversity training. I mean, that is just absolutely outrageous. Assault? Yeah. Trespassing, I think, or something like that. Not leaving the area when she was told to go. I mean, this is the, the I was the training that I was in. I had only I only went once because mm-hmm. I I saw right through it, and I was like, "This is this is just yeah. you know, this is mm-hmm. a, a a what is it a, a shingle to hang for people? You know, look, I I I went to this training, so I'm woke now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just mm-hmm. a shingle for people. It doesn't really have a lot of substance, and so with that, the the training itself, I you know, I saw how um, how it had benefits, and then I also saw how it it was really really toxic, really yeah. toxic. It's terrible, and especially knowing that you know at any point in time a person of color that goes to that training might be arrested. Well, that training was a failure because it caused trauma on all ends. Right. And and that's kind of your answer. When does diversity training cause harm? When it causes trauma, mm-hmm. you know, when it's like the expense of one over the other, right? right? What you're there is to build, you know, some awareness, some empathy, you know, education, communication, you know, all of these things. But when it starts to get into at the expense of one race over the other, or it starts to get into a level of communication where uh, people just want to talk to be heard, right? Mm. Regardless of where it's coming from, right? Yeah. Then to me, it doesn't work anymore. That's a poor instructor, poor program, mm. poorly designed model. Mm. So if there was like diversity training nirvana, right? What would be the most effective. You said you you were sharing earlier that the most effective would be uh, to bring in awareness to somebody of what it's like to walk in someone's shoes, to actually place them in those shoes for a time, so they can experience what it feels like. So something along those lines where people can actually get a taste of uh, microaggressions, of outright discrim- discrimination, of systemic discrimination of of institutional discrimination the a diversity training that would address all of those things from a perspective that would place people in each other's shoes so that people can see it for their own eyes and experience it in their bodies would you imagine that to be that's the yeah i don't know that there's anything out there right now 
Wow. I think the industry as a, as a training uh, is still evolving. Mm. And it's, there's several things that are going on, you know, around the country right now in this area. But I don't know that there's any one thing that's effective. That's mm-hmm. why I don't think any of it works. I think it's time to give it a rest. Put it on the shelf. That was good. We did that for a couple of, uh, oh, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Now what do we do? So right? what do we do then? Right. That's the question. What's the next step? Right. Wow. Well, I'm pretty sure that you might come up with it. Maybe. Hey, now. Hey, now. Well, wow, I think we really, really brought awareness to diversity training and the the pros and cons of and if any of you out there have had, have had experience with diversity trainings or sensitivity training being in the audience of one of them as a participant uh post on gdi let us know how the experience was yeah. and if you have one that you particularly like and feel safe with felt brave with to recommend mm-hmm. on GDI as well. All right. So would you like would you like any more share on that? No. Or, no. I think we're good. We're good. All right. So that brings us to the Coco Tasso of the week. The Coco Tasso of the week goes to diversity trainings that call the cops on BIPOC participants. <laughs> that is just the absolute re- most ridiculous thing. It is. it is. It showed poor skills on the instructor, uh, diffusing a situation. Mm. It, it was just all, all, all the way around. Absolutely. They should have paid her legal fees and everything. It's ridiculous. Absolutely. I agree. Big old cocotazo. The shout out of the week, and this is a kind of an interesting thing. GDI, one of the things that GDI does is call into awareness people, specific people for cultural appropriation and um, racist, being racist and things like that. And this week... Uh, one of the women that we called to awareness on a grand scale, her name is Jessica Ricci. Ricci. Uh, she is a full circle GDI call to awareness. Uh, Jessica listened, she connected, and she has completely let go of culturally appropriating. And she said, and I quote, how can I not thank you? You literally gave me back my ancestors. And she has completely let go of coming from a place of taking to create abundance and is now leaned into her lineage and is creating abundance in a powerful and empowering way. So Jessica Ricci you rock and the shout out goes to you because you are an example that it can be done and fuck yeah 
I'm proud of you, baby girl. You're doing it. So... What's going on in the philanthropy corner here? The philanthropy corner, the donation of the week. We have a we have a fr- a fundraiser happening on GDI right now. It's a grassroots fundraiser specifically for the people that are affected by the earthquake swarm in Puerto Rico because of the way that the earthquakes are shipping has not been affected. So the stores do have supplies. The people can't get the people affected by the hurricane are unable to go to the stores to get supplies. And so a lot of um, people have mobilized to make sure that elders, families, and uh, people that aren't are unable to get to work because their buildings are unsafe to work in are able to get food and medicine and the things, water, things that they need. So people are coming from all over the island and going to the stores, buying stores, and then going to the different neighborhoods to distribute things like ice and water. And uh, So we have GDI followers who are out there doing some of that good work? Right. There's uh, an activist woman that I'm working with this is amazing and she's so much of an activist that she 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 doesn't want her name out there Mm -hmm. because uh, she doesn't want to get any notoriety she does it from her heart Uh, this it's not like a photo thing it's full-on it's it's pure and so we're you know we put the fundraiser up on GDI, so please go to the fundraiser. It has a PayPal link where uh, the money comes in, and I transfer the money directly to her for her to buy supplies for people there on the ground. The request is to not send anything at this time because the situation there is dynamic, and what is needed today might not be necessary next week. Uh, like I said, there's not a lack of supplies that's there. It's the lack of access to those supplies because people don't want to leave their homes. So uh, this. Well, many of them are not staying in the homes. They're staying out in the streets. They're staying out in the streets. They're so staying they need, out in their they yards. They need supplies because they mm-hmm. won't go into their homes to get a right. toothbrush or a toothpaste or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, go to GDI, go to Global Decolonization Initiative on Facebook. There's a link there, a PayPal link. Or if you want, you can uh, pay me directly in Facebook Messenger and I will make sure that she gets the money. Um, and uh, like I said, this is a non-notoriety thing. This is pure grassroots stuff that uh, that you can be a part of and know in your heart that you you did something good. We're asking for donations to start at a dollar. So even if you have a dollar, that's enough. All right, this concludes our Global Decolonization Initiative podcast. Please feel free to comment. Uh, share, 
let everybody know that this podcast is happening and uh, tell all your friends to join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks, Mom, for all the wisdom you bring. Thank you, Tanya. And we'll see you when we see you. And if we don't see you, we'll see you. Mm -hmm.